Welcome to Todcast by the Oslo Desk. The Oslo Desk Todd brings diverse perspectives to the table and creates practical content to help people of all backgrounds in Norway to live out their greatest potential. I am your host Helena Tim, and throughout the fourth season, leading together, I will meet people that research and practice a compassionate sense of leadership that focuses on the whole team rather than a single leader. In today's episode, I am discussing with Frederick Flatmark how to use military strategies for business. While today he also runs his own consultancy, he does have a military background himself. Frederick served as a captain in the Norwegian Armed Forces and led soldiers in extreme Arctic winter conditions. He also supported NATO Special Operation Forces in the urban jungle of Kabul, Afghanistan. Let's find out if there's more to it than simply creating discipline and orders. Welcome, Frederick, and let's get right into it. Frederick, how would you describe in one sentence what you do for a living and for a passion? I mean, at the moment, I'm still uh, working in the military, but like what I'm really what inspires me or what I get really enthusiastic about is everything to do with performance in teams unleashing potential in individuals and i think when you get people together in a team and they're inspired and they're working towards a common goal it's really unbelievable what people can achieve together and so that's why i really enjoy working with is helping teams and groups maximizing what they can achieve and that was already part of your role in the military as well then as an un intelligence officer right that's what I yeah that's right so i um my background originally was i had a civilian Uh, background I studied economics and politics and then actually went into the finance industry and I was working in London and was working as a trader for a few years and then I lost my job during the financial crisis yeah. and decided to join the military and being half Norwegian I decided to come over to Norway to do that because I grew up in the UK yeah. and then so I came over to Norway and joined the joined the army and I originally started off in uh, like a squad leader role so working with uh, team leadership and then um After a few years, I uh, moved over to working with, with intelligence and um, took uh, officer training. And that was really to kind of uh, take use of my more analytical background. And then I worked within kind of leadership of uh, leadership of intelligence processes and intelligence teams for a number of years. Um, and then about yeah, a few years ago, I left the army to um, start my own consultancy business. I've been doing that for a few years and then I was given an offer uh, last summer to come back to the military and it was kind of an offer I couldn't refuse, doing a very yeah. interesting position. So I'm kind of trying to combine the two at the moment. I was wondering, do you feel like the Norwegian army, I mean, of course, every military probably has its own kind of characteristics in that aspect. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like leadership is a big question in the Norwegian army, like how to approach that, maybe also how to bring in recent research on that? Because I was realizing military is not military in that aspect. It also depends on your country's policies in that aspect. Yeah, for sure. No, it was very interesting coming over to Norway. It took me a few years to understand. You know, I grew up in a multinational household. So my mom was English. I grew up in Scotland. My father's Norwegian. We spent a lot of time kind of traveling back and forth between the holidays. I came over when I was 24. And I, even though I'd spent a year when I was younger in Norway, like it took me a while to adjust to like the Norwegian method of working. So in the UK the culture is much more confrontational. So if you just look at like the Houses of Parliament, for example, you have 
Labour, who sits on one side, and Conservatives who sit on the other, and they kind of shout at each other and try and come <laughs> up with the best solution with their laws. And the legal system is the same. It's based on kind of case law, and people argue their case, and then everybody kind of accepts that the best argument wins, and that's that then becomes accepted. Whereas in Norway, it's a much more less confrontational and much more consensus-based. Yeah. You can, like, defeat someone in an argument and maybe win your win your case. But then a lot of times in Norway, people will just kind of, like, they'll feel like they're not part of the process and then they'll, they don't really accept it. So building consensus is much more important in Norway. And, of course, this then becomes relevant in a leadership setting. So that took me a while to learn, but it's something that I'm much more aware of now, I suppose. Yeah, I find that interesting, especially because in my idea of uh, this podcast, I was thinking about leadership as a social process. So I was doing research on leadership in the realm of arts and culture a lot. And there it is oftentimes that, yeah, in some organizations, people might be assigned to become a leader, but oftentimes it's on a volunteer basis too. So people mm -hmm. just emerge as leaders. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of people refuse to have the title of leadership that might be different to the to the military <laughs> a little bit different yeah um because i guess in the creative sector or where people are much aware of um yeah where, where they might not want to define that so much mm -hmm. what their role is and want to keep that a bit open it is sometimes mm -hmm. hard to have those terms of leadership or mm -hmm. people and that is something i wanted also to discuss with you have this view of leadership as really hierarchy based mm -hmm. but meaning that you have not much of a say in decisions as somebody who might be a follower mm -hmm. and they don't want to be that kind of leader in any case they mm -hmm. want to be somebody who is open to suggestions maybe of other people who discusses things before mm -hmm. they make a decision um, they don't want to have a so-called um, Yeah, fulfilling of orders mm. in that aspect and i guess that's why it's also interesting that you took out this uh, idea of leadership from the military or military strategies mm -hmm. and took that into the business world mm -hmm. do you see yourself confronted with people having those kind of views of leadership <laughs> <laughs> well i mean the the let me address one of the points i think when it comes to people's uh, preconceptions of what leadership is like in the military is they maybe have a a picture of a film like Full Metal Jacket. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's like an opening scene where there's a drill sergeant screaming at the soldiers. And it's this kind of classic idea yeah. of like top down and you do as I say, which of course in some areas of the military is 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 accurate. But I would say now in 2020 or 2021, the more advanced or the more professional units, that's a kind of very, very foreign concept of leadership. I mean, I personally, like, I, I prefer working with people who are inspired and people who want to be the best and people who are ambitious. And so I think the lessons that you can learn from the kind of more professional units, the high performing units it, from the military become highly relevant for the civilian world. So if you go to a place like the Special Forces, the leadership there would look much more like a creative team, for example. If you look at some of the theory on team performance, like I think the, the theory that I use in when I'm using team development is based on a professor called Endra Shovel. And he has a, his own theory on team development and team dynamic, which is called spin theory. And he basically has this idea that different teams need to have different dynamics performing in different areas. So, for example, if you are a McDonald's team performing a repetitive task in a kind of fixed environment, then one type of dynamic, maybe more of this kind of traditional military, like a leader who coordinates everything and the team just does it, is one type of dynamic, which is more simple. But if you're going to perform 
or solve a task which is much more complex. So see like a very creative startup who's trying to solve a problem that's never been solved before or a theater company where you're trying to um, come up with like a highly creative process, which is highly challenging. You need a much different team dynamic. And so because the, the environment is changing all the time. Well, I, I mean, maybe not the environment's changing for a theater group, but the idea of like, if you want to have creative dynamic, that is like the most hardest or like the most difficult dynamic to uh, get to on a team. And that's really because you need to have equal team members taking up equal space in the team and they have to fill a lot of different functions. And so those teams often become almost what you call leaderless. Um, and this is like one of the characteristics of what you'll see in a special forces team is that they're almost leaderless. So it's the idea that if they say that they're on a patrol and they're moving through a town and the person at the front who's the scout who isn't the team leader sees something because for whatever reason he may be in the best physical location to suddenly lead the team he can then start ordering the other people around or directing the other team members to do certain things the team will just flow with this dynamic where they'll understand okay he's taking over he's not like the formal team leader but because of the situation he's in in a better position to lead and so this is a little bit i can imagine like in a creative theatre group, you know, where it's yeah. like if someone that day is coming up with loads of great ideas and they're really creative, like the team will just let it flow and like he'll maybe move into a more lateral leadership position or or maybe it's a, a certain process that you're doing and maybe the lighting expert is the guy that everybody needs to listen to that for that hour and so every suddenly he becomes the leader for that. So we so, don't necessarily have a leader-follower dynamic then anymore. We don't need those terms necessarily. Well, it depends on what dynamic you're working in. Yeah. You need more team development. And I, I like to say there's no such thing as team development. It's just personal development because a team is just a... Reflection of that. Or it's mm. just the sum of all the individuals, right? If you want to develop the team dynamic, well, you're really just asking people to do something they're not doing before. And that's just really personal development, right? But uh, when you have a complex leadership structure or like a complex task, and mm -hmm. this requires this almost leaderless structure, mm -hmm. how do you still prepare your team for that? Because I think you still need to kind of know what kind of resources and assets your team has. Mm -hmm. And um, you also need to negotiate, for example, different viewpoints that you have on the situation. Because of course, mm -hmm. people have that. People have those different backgrounds and they've gone through their self-development, mm -hmm. but they've come out maybe at the completely different end from each other mm -hmm. of how they developed. <laughs> yeah. So I think one important aspect is you can look at leadership as team development. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's a general called Stanley McChrystal, an American general who was head of uh, the Special Forces in all of the United States, and he was head of ISAF mission in Afghanistan. And he's once he retired, he went on to start a consultancy. And he's written a number of books on leadership and, uh, and organizational processes. So what he talks about is he says, you can think of the leader as a gardener. And his job as a gardener is to create the environment for the flowers to grow. So you can think of one of the roles as a leader is identifying that, okay, um, when I'm having my strategy meeting, maybe we've got a sales team, right? A whole month straight, we're just going to be doing sales. And that requires one type of time dynamic, which maybe isn't so complex. But once a month, we're going to sit down for a day and do a strategy and development meeting. That's going to require a different dynamic. Maybe something where you need a bit more of a leaderless team, a more complex dynamic. So and we so have then different leadership styles within one team, depending on the, on the task then. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And so the, the idea then is like one of your jobs as a team leader is to work out, okay, how can I 
facilitate for this culture or this dynamic that we need. And this is where like having a little bit of theory comes in to help. Like I, that's why I really like one of the Shervall's theories. It kind of gives you some very practical tools of like, okay, some indicators I need to identify. Okay, this is the type of environment we're going to be working in. And then you have a kind of idea of, okay, well, this is the type of dynamic we need uh, to, to produce in order to perform maximally yeah. at that dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, I was reading one of your articles where you were talking about leadership in COVID times and how to use military strategy for your for your organization there. Uh -huh. And I was uh, one of the points that you mentioned was also that um, you had to be aware of your circumstance. And I think this might be in that in that point exactly yeah. what it what it is needed to be aware of the situation. Mm. And I guess what you learn in the military quite a, quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think like. Um, what is it, the second law of third thermodynamics is that everything tends towards entropy. All closed systems tend towards entropy. So, like the thing that makes a team um, perform is this ability to interact with this environment in a, in a good way, right? So, if you're ever closed off from your environment, your team will naturally tend towards entropy because it's just a basic law of physics, right? But I mean, I think everybody who's kind of worked in teams understands this. So. The idea of that article was just to kind of present three lessons that I think a lot of organizations struggle with when they're dealing with a crisis or a complex environment where things are changing, right? And so like I had three kind of points there or three lessons. And the first one was this idea of like you've got to have good situational awareness. You've got to know what's going on around you. And so the analogy I use is imagine trying to play tennis with a blindfold on, you know, or if I go to close your eyes and I threw a pen at you, you know, the chances of you grabbing it are very, very small. And so it's like, it seems like a bit of a mundane analogy, but like if you're a crisis team and you're locked in an office and you're closed off from the environment, you don't really understand what's going on. It's very, very easy to make a decision, which is, yeah, a suboptimal decision, essentially. Might also be something that a lot of people struggle with in home office when they don't yeah. necessarily <laughs> see what is happening around them. I mean... For you don't sure, see yeah. your team. You mm. don't see maybe even your work in that aspect if it's all online. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so. and I think like this, the back and forth dynamic is super important for. Like you're talking about this kind of highest level of maturity for a team. This complex dynamic where there's a lot of um, constructive conflict, a lot of challenging of ideas because really you need to be able to challenge each other in order to get them to the truth, right? And you need the truth, like what's actually going on, if you want to come up with a good plan. And so, so you need this kind of back and forth and that's difficult on Skype, right? Because you have this maybe one, two second delay. So it's, it's very difficult to have a good interaction, especially with more than one person. And that's one of definitely one of the challenges with, with working over Skype at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So in general, the communication then how to, how to talk to each other, how to keep each other informed and. Yeah. So like that was the third point of that article. It was, um, is communication. Say you've managed to set maybe a crisis team. You have some kind of operation center. Now I'm talking about bigger organizations, obviously okay. not just yeah. like a small startup. But, you know, so if you say you're a bigger organization, like a large bank, say you've managed to set up some kind of crisis team or some operation center, which is actually tracking what's going on both internally in your organization and, and what's going on outside. Like in the early days, the government uh, recommendations was always changing, right? So if you're not up to date on what the latest government recommendations are, your plan is very soon going to be outdated, right? So that's just one example of one of the many things you need to be able to track and keep updated. Um, so but just say that you've managed to have a good situational understanding of what's going on. 
The second part is this idea of not communicating your plan well, but just say you've got a good plan and it's well communicated and the, the organization has understood it. Then the kind of last challenge is getting departments and teams to communicate between each other. And so the classic example that a lot of people refer to in literature is like Hurricane Katrina example. Mm -hmm. And so like Hurricane Katrina was everybody pretty much agreed it was a huge disaster. But that's because a lot of these uh, federal and state organizations just weren't coordinated and they didn't have they didn't even maybe have the 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 systems or the traditions of of communicating with each other and so you had like you know had cases like dead bodies lying around for days and weeks just because organizations couldn't get together and, and work together yeah so I, I was thinking about the second point that you mentioned about bad communication being one of the mistakes in mm -hmm. in those times perhaps and um how that is related to yeah as you said as a leader you want to you want to communicate the why behind things and mm -hmm. this is perhaps something that a lot of people are in general asking themselves right now mm -hmm. like why am i doing the work that i'm doing it's uh -huh. really in a kind of existential time <laughs> where people seem to kind of get to the to the core of things mm -hmm. and yeah regardless of i mean in times of covid or of hurricane katrina this is probably A question to ask like what's the intention behind a decision but then mm -hmm. also if you want to really have a value purpose-driven organization mm -hmm. let's say you're an NGO how do you uh, bring across your intent as a leader for me when you're coming up with like decision making like one of the most important thing is actually have an agreement on what you're trying to achieve in the beginning yeah in the beginning yeah and this can change of course under ways but the the challenge is if, if say we're working on an NGO and we're going to a meeting And your idea of what we're trying to achieve is different to mine. And we're then discussing what is the best course of action, what's the best plan for doing this. And I'm saying, oh, no, a digital marketing campaign is going to be the best thing. Maybe I'm, I've got a digital marketing background. I think that's super cool. Maybe you're like, no, I think we should go, we should try and get volunteers. We should go knocking on doors. Maybe that's your background. You love talking to people, right? So because you've not actually maybe defined what is the clear goal that we're trying to achieve, I'm arguing out from my background on what I think is the best solution, you're doing the same. And so then it becomes like just a, an argument instead of going, okay, this is what we're trying to achieve. We both agree on this. Which one of these plans is going to achieve this goal? And then it's easier to compromise because we both see that bigger goal and then we see what fits it better. Ideally, yeah. Yeah, we see sure. that. <laughs> for sure. And that, I think that's the first, like for me, that's one of the first, the first fundamentals for building a consensus in a team is like working out, well, what is, what are we actually trying to achieve together? Rather than assessing all these kind of all these decisions that you've got to make, like what is the decision I think it's going to be best, you can actually say, okay, what's the decision that we're tr what are we trying to achieve? What have we got on the wall? Okay, which of these options is going to get us closer to this goal? But do you also think that people can do that with values? Let's say if sustainability is a really important value in your company, in your startup, um, or do you think it always needs to be turned into those operational goals then? I think values are, I like, I could talk all day about values, but like values are, it's a very under, uh, like the study of values is called axiology and it's one of the newest ologies. It's only been around for a hundred or so years. And I think like values drive our behavior every single day. Like whatever your highest value is, is driving your behavior. Like you've started a podcast, there's obviously something that drives you that you have a value on. And so it's, Like it might be easy, like I asked you what your values are, you might not actually be aware of what's driving your behavior. And I think most people actually don't have a good idea of what their highest values really are. And so that's, 
So it's, I think it's very easy to come up with a, like, a, what's the, the right word? Like this kind of like very ambitious political value that sounds really good that everybody's like kind of in, I don't know, like uh, sustainability, for example. But, it's but like, that's what I would actually connect a bit to this idea of intent, at least mm -hmm. when I would not hear it necessarily how we... Um, yeah, if I would just have to say what is intent-based leadership or what, um, maybe I'm also um, bringing it a, get a bit together with, yeah, this intention, purpose, I guess there's a whole language around that yeah. at the moment at least. Um, and so I, I would think exactly of, th of that, like what are my high goals that I'm striving for that apply regardless of which environment I'm working in. Mm -hmm. Let's say if, if honesty Of course, that can be reflected differently mm -hmm. in every situation. But if, let's say, honesty is a high goal for me and my workplace um, doesn't reflect that and I'm yeah. changing my work environment because mm -hmm. of that, then I think this says something more about, let's say, my leadership than, let's say, the kind of assigned position, for example, mm -hmm. that I'm working in. If I was a CEO or, um, I don't know, a manager or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that your your values become a way of um, they almost become like a heuristic that you can use because they are situationally independent. Because it's like like we get taught a lot about this in the army. It's kind of like they have uh, in the army they have respect, ansvoid, mult, uh, respect, responsibility, courage as their three. They call it no, they call them vardir as of yeah values. And so the idea, idea then becomes if you're in a decision-making capacity, you can you be leading yourself as an individual or leading a team mm -hmm. and you're unsure what you're supposed to do. You could, the idea is then you can always close your eyes and go back to like, okay, if I'm supposed to uh, show or do these things of respect, uh, or is it in English, respect, responsibility, and courage, what should, I, what should I do in this situation? How do you navigate these environments? And so my point is that there's a lot of, not all, but there's a lot of great organizational and leadership techniques that you can take from the military because the military has been has learned for thousands of years and developed these techniques for coping in complex environments which are changing so it's the idea is like how do you organize a lot of people to solve problems when in a complex environment and so this then one of these key principles becomes what's called leading by intent um, or mission mission command or whatever you want to call it yeah, yeah i think that is a really Really good one too. Yeah. End on this well. Thank Fantastic. you very much for coming. Thanks so much. <laughs>